X-Rated Movies. This is a movie podcast by two guys who used to date and now they no longer date. I'm one half of your hosting team, Matthew Fisher. I'm the other half of your hosting team, Ryan Whedon. Why do we sound like 60 Minutes? <laughs> is that not what we're transitioning towards? I thought we were going to go to a very fact-based podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Starting on episode 197, we were going to transition to news and talk radio. Deeply researched. Yeah. We were basically just going to give you an oral reenactment of various Wikipedia pages on current events. Well, Leslie Stahl has been uh, talking to us about trying to join the the team. She wants to be one of the co-hosts. I mean, Andy Rooney's always bothering me. (laughs) Do you remember when he got mad about pencils? No. He might not have, but I just feel like that's something he'd get mad about. Well, didn't Andy Rooney, like, get upset at people mourning like the death of Kurt Cobain he was like you people didn't even know him because <laughs> that's spot on Andy Rooney impersonation by the I way I think Andy Rooney sounds like this <laughs> now I'm sure that he's, he's more jowly and gravelly and just hates what's the deal with people mourning Kurt Cobain if you ask me Kurt Cobain should be mourning music Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's a good thing it was Andy Rooney's joke, not yours, because mm. I don't know if that one landed. Yeah, that didn't really. You got to workshop that one, Andy. Okay. Take it to an open mic night. <laughs> okay, let's take a few minutes and imagine Andy Rooney, Andy Rooney's type five. <laughs> well, one, he's, he starts a stopwatch. <laughs> and go. Have you ever heard of this thing called public transportation? I, for one, don't want my tax dollars going to help people. Ugh, this is bad. (laughs) This is just bad pod. Cut everything. We're going to start right after we said our names, and boom. I mean, I understand that, like, the best bits are the ones that, like, you can't really explain the origins of. And you'd think Andy Rooney's tight five (laughs) would bear some useful fruit, but I don't think either of us are versed enough in, in, Andy the Andy, in the Andy, Andy Uvra, in the U, in the Rooneyverse, <laughs> yeah, okay, to to uh, improvise in that character. Oh, just, maybe I'm not warmed up enough. Red leather, yellow leather, <laughs> unique New York, unique New York. Zip zap zap. Okay. I mean, if I were to say like uh, Tilda Swinton, you know, in an improv troupe, you could probably run with that. I'd like to play. A strange mom with inner problems that are manifesting in odd ticks. Yeah, no, that that sounds like Tilda Swinton in an improv troupe. Good I think job. I could do it. I actually kind of look like her. Well, it's because you kind of look like David Bowie too. Thank you. Like when you did the thin white Duke Halloween costume, mm-hmm. it was just like, oh my god. Yeah, I just need to do a little. See, if I ever need to go incognito, I'm going to paint eyebrows on. And I'm gonna do like the the like nose thinning thing that drag queens do. You're gonna go incognito as David Bowie. Yes. No one will notice me now. <laughs> I'm g- <laughs> completely discreet. And I'm gonna go as uh, the Ziggy Stardust days, <laughs> and uh, no one will know it's me. They'll think, is that David Bowie walking the streets? Finally, you can walk the streets in peace without all your 
legions of adoring fans bothering you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wish. I really appreciate people saying I look like Tilda Swinton and David Bowie. I don't think I do, but I appreciate it. I mean, lose the mustache, lose the hair. Yeah, you could pass for either one. I need a little thinner lips. I have. I kind of have DSL compared to them. And um, put a pin in it. Really? We're putting a pin in DSL lips? Mm. And uh, also my nose is a little like broader than theirs. They have thinner noses, but, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah, they. I do have their cheekbones though. Those those high cheekbones. Yeah, look at her. All you also have like the same complexion. <laughs> Pallid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like never seen like a, a strong beam of light in your life. Near translucent. Yes, I do have that. Is that a genetic thing? Like, is the rest of your family borderline <laughs> like clear? I don't know. My dad grew up in Southern California, so he has leather. Oh, at okay. this point. And uh, my mom was very freckly. So what, about, what about your brother? He is also pallid like me. But okay. he tans more than I do. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm hoping now that I, like, live by the water, I'll, like... Because I got sunburn walking along the water the other day. Oh, good. And <laughs> thank you for your support. <laughs> and so I'm wondering, if, like, if I do that enough... Because, like, the light reflects off the water, and it's like you're getting, like, a double dose. Yeah. Maybe, hopefully, for once in my sallow life, I'll get a, a healthy amount of color. All right. You know, in me. You got to be careful about the sun reflecting off of things, though. I got sunburned on the inside of my nostrils once, skiing you, on a sunny day. Uh, the inside of your nostrils? I'm not kidding. Yeah. Are you sure it wasn't like windburn? You were just going down so fast? No, it must have been from the sun reflecting off the snow into my nasal cavity. Is this some sort of lazy metaphor for cocagna? Like the 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 snow was going up your nose so fast that it it burned the inside the of little, your nose. The little flakes were cutting up my nose. Yeah. No, no. This was um yeah, it was it was a sunburn in my nostrils. The inside of your nose? Well, yeah, like, well, it felt like it. Like, like right on in the inside, like the tender. Like where you, like, would, like, jam your finger in? Yeah, I couldn't pick my nose for, like, weeks. Weeks? And I loved picking my nose as a kid. <laughs> it was your number one protein source. <laughs> I don't know about that. I would, I would fact check that. Like, no, I'm not saying... Yeah. I'm not saying that the inside of your, but like, was the top of your nose sunburned? Yeah, my whole face was burnt. Oh, <laughs> the way that you phrase it, it made it sound like exclusively <laughs> the inside of your nostrils were sunburned. I had and a, the rest I of you a, was fine. I had a magnifying glass that was perpendicular to my top lip. Yeah. Sticking out. And for some reason, my nostrils <laughs> got burnt. I don't know. I was just like, the, um, like the way that. The light would have to like beam up your nose and nowhere else consistently during the whole ski run. Just didn't seem po- but you, okay. Your whole face got sunburned. Yes, including the underside of my nose and my nostrils because the sun was reflecting. Now I believe you. Okay. <laughs> uh, <sighs> the well, journey. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we were going to talk about the Wendy's uh, <laughs> the baked potato. potato bar for opening. We're getting banter. to it. We're getting to it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little disappointed we're talking about my nostrils being sunburned. 
I want to get to the Wendy's baked potato bar. How old were you? What was the nose hair situation like? I was pretty young. I think oh. I was like in... Had I, puberty hit? I don't think so. I think I was... This was like pre-puberty. So you had no unwanted hair anywhere yet? Not that I know of, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, all right, all right. Yeah. So uh, you, you had another topic that you wanted to broach? <laughs> well, I just... Just before we hit record, and this was the thing that prompted me to hit record... Uh, we we somehow got to the topic of baked potatoes, and I just remembered, do you... Well, okay. No, we can tie this back to movies. There's that uh, article floating around about Scott Rudin and how he threw a baked potato at an intern at one point. You told and, me that story, like, off-pot a couple weeks ago, and I was like, I think cancel culture is going too far. And then I read the rest of the article, and I'm like, oh, never mind. But, like, for, like, a solid week, I thought that he just threw... A baked potato. And at that's someone. what the whole article was about. Yeah, there was a whole article about how Scott Roden threw a baked potato at a PA or something, and we were all canceling him because of that. And I was just like, "Boy, maybe we have gone too far." Uh, no, he's awful in other ways. Apparently. Yeah, I'm glad that I read past your headline of Scott Roden potato Throw assaulter potato gate 2021. Uh. No, but then that reminded me, we were just talking about baked potatoes, and then I remember that Wendy's used to have a baked potato bar where they would just fucking give you a plain baked potato, and then you could load it up however you want. They wanted. always had to be different, didn't they? They had those fucking square burgers. Who's complaining about a baked potato bar? I'm well, saying I'm, I'm, bring I'm not, it back. I'm, I, oh, I, I should take that back. That makes it sound like I'm complaining. Wendy's, the cutting edge of fast food. There you go. Square burgers, baked potato bar. The best tangy dipping sauce for their chicken nuggets. Frosties that were great. Yeah. When... <laughs> hmm, okay. I thought there'd be more enthusiasm there. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> what are you talking about? I was on board. Okay, good. Uh, no. Like, they did it differently, and they did it well. Like, they yeah. thought outside the square patty. What would you load into your baked potato if you could oh, right now? all the fixins. I want sour cream. I want butter. I want chives. I want bacon bits. Even though I don't dig on swine, I'll do it at the, at the Wendy's baked potato bar. You going to throw some broccoli in there? I like a little bit of broccoli florets in my baked potato. <sighs> cheese? You got some cheddar cheese on there? I mean, cheese on a potato, of course, is perfect. If the cheese is melty enough, then, yeah, throw in some it's broccoli. It's got to be melty. Yeah, you got to put that on before the sour cream. Like... Swiss cheese and broccoli is not going to do. It, it's it, got to be cheddar. It's got to be cheddar. Cheddar. Honestly, this is where you need Velveeta. Mm, like, you know, yeah, you're probably right. A little, little cheese sauce, not actually. Like, my charcuterie platter is never going to include Velveeta. But when you want a really good, like, melty cheese and you want to, like, make sure that, that any vegetable you're eating has no trace of nutritional value. <laughs> Really, Velvet is the best choice to go with. It's funny you mentioned processed cheese product, Matt, because today's movie talks about processed cheese product. Does it? I think uh, the chef microwave with Marge uh, brings up processed cheese product quite a bit. She uses it as a glaze, which I don't understand. But, uh, you know. Does she, like, 
melt it down and like brush it over her casserole. Well, that's what I want to know. You put a thin glaze of pasteurized processed cheese food on top. We'll get to microwave with Marge. Okay. Of course. Today's movie, Gremlins 2. The new batch. So I mentioned, you know, a couple weeks ago on the pod during the Secret Nim episode, this movie scared me as a child. That's right. The googly-eyed gremlin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was it the googly-eyed gremlin or the googly-eyed mogwai? The googly-eyed gremlin. Okay, just want to clarify. This is one of like my earliest movie memories as a kid. Mm. Like a definitive movie memory because like my dad had like HBO or something at the time and this came on cuz like this movie's from 1990. Yes. So this would have been either like late 1990 or 91, so I was like 5 or 6. And he was watching it and I just caught the very end like when they're in the lobby and it's like before like they you know fire the hose even spoiler alert. And I made a connection this time, and I was, like, instantly drawn to it. And so, like, I made my dad, like, rent the movie so, like, I could watch it start to finish. And when I did, it gave me nightmares. Okay. And it was because, like, the idea, like, the way that the gremlins, like, pop up, Uh like, scared me. And, like, I just kept, like, imagining a gremlin, like, popping up on the side of my bed. And, like, it just, I couldn't sleep that night. I can understand. I gotcha. But watching it this time, I think I understood why, like, I had this instant connection with the movie, especially, like, at that scene. And I don't know if I made the connection as a kid, but it's not totally unlike a Muppet movie. Oh, this is the closest thing we've done to a Muppet live-action cartoon thing, maybe ever. Like, this is... More than an actual Muppet movie? Yeah. And I mean, really, that the like the puppet animatronics in this are better than the first ones. Um, they're really good. They're real good. Puppet technology between, the, I guess, the only other ones we've done are Muppets Take Manhattan and uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, which is around this time. Mm-hmm. But like, just puppet motor mechanics in this movie are just mwah, perfect. And so I love them. There's something about like that scene when they're all in the lobby and it shows them all i don't know it's not unlike like one of the big like muppet gatherings that you'd see at the end of muppet takes manhattan like when they're in the church or something like that kermit's death dream yeah exactly i think like as a kid like i didn't i didn't connect that these are like scary monsters because like really the movie's not very scary and especially like that last 10 minute sequence is particularly not scary no and so like in my head i was like oh this is just Muppets, but with like slimy monsters, and I like slimy monsters. Let's, I want to see this whole movie. Even though I was scared, I still made my parents buy me the movie. <laughs> and I watched it a whole bunch as a kid. See, there, I don't know if this still exists today, but like, yeah, 80s, 90s kids liked being scared. Like, we talked about this on Secret and Nimba episode where it's like, that movie was scary. I saw it as a kid and was scared by it, but was like, let's go on this ride again. And I don't know, maybe kids feel that way today, but like the input I'm receiving from general social media and just things is like, we don't want scary movies as kids. And I think it's too bad because Matt, I loved this movie. So good. I loved watching it today. I loved watching it when I was a kid. And I can't remember. I was having trouble. I was struggling because I can't remember if I saw this one or the first Gremlins first. 
I think I saw Gremlins 1 first, which is tough because I must have been pretty young when I saw it because I know I saw this movie very close to after it came out. And I definitely rented it from Blockbuster or some video store. It might have been a New Year's night. My parents used to do this thing where they'd like go out for New Year's and give us a babysitter and just let us rent a ton of movies and we'd just watch a bunch of movies all night. And I think it might have been one of those. This is one of those things I got for one of those. And it was just like, I don't know, magical. Nothing. It wasn't scary at all. Nothing about it is scary. And I don't know why <laughs> it didn't scare me. I just was on board for all of it. Yeah. So it, it was like I had the, the initial like nightmares and like not being able to sleep. And so then like my parents were, of course, confused when I was like, I want to buy this. And like they did. And I was really only scared like that first time. Every repeat viewing was fine. And really, like, because the movie sort of like Muppets meets Looney Tunes. Like, what more do you want? It like it's sort of catered to kind of kids, but at the same time, here I am, a da 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 old man, and uh, still love it. How awesome would it be to be a fan of the first movie and then go to the theater and see this? Like, I would. I just was trying to imagine how undisappointed i don't know what what that word would be i would be in this sequel i'd be like this is exactly i got all my money's worth well it's like you think of like all these like you know horror franchises we'll, we'll use an example that like you know jason takes manhattan mm-hmm. uh or like poltergeist three that like they go to new york or something you know all these movies where it's like oh my god they're going to a city it's gonna be crazy and there's no payoff like there's nothing good about it and, like, this one is all the payoff you want. Like, this movie's, like, 70% payoff. I was thinking that because you mentioned that about the first one. Like, it's not a movie that's afraid of payoff. And this one isn't either. It's just, like... This one has even more payoff, I think. Because, like, there's, like, I don't know, like, 20, 30 minutes of table setting. But you know how in the first one you're, like, that bar scene is, like, bananas? Like, I was, like, most of this movie is the bar scene. I know. They call they recall the bar scene. So yeah. one of my favorite things about watching this time was it's just like, oh my God, he's referencing the first one so much. So okay, so we should mention so many people came back on board that were on the first one. Like so many people were like, I loved that project. I want to do the sequel. Like we got Jerry Goldsmith, we've yeah. got Joe Dante, we've got uh Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, the Futtermans, like the 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 uh, Asian man, I can't remember his name, Mr. Wing. Wing. Like, oh, they brought Gizmo back. Gizmo <laughs> came back. Oh, thankfully, that would have been I mean, a hard one, but yeah. But like, all these people were like, yeah, I'm back on board. Let's, let's, let's do this movie again. And, um, it just tells you how excited people were to kind of like get back in the zone. Yeah. Cause I mean, it was a long time by like sequel standards. Oh, the, the first one was 84. Yeah, I guess like six years. So, yeah. so six years like between it and it's like the first one was like the surprise hit and like they wanted to make a sequel, but like Joe Dante wasn't really into it. He made one, two, three, four movies before he made this one. So it was like what? Inner Space? Explorers? The Burbs? Oh, uh, The Burbs, yeah. Or maybe just three. Maybe yeah. just, okay. Uh, but still, that's quite a few movies in between. Yeah, and it wasn't until like, the people of Warner Brothers was like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. We just, we need the sequel. <sighs> this is a great example of what complete creative control. It's given also to the right director can do. It's also like 
the people at Warner Brothers didn't understand why the first Gremlins was a hit. And so they didn't know how to replicate it without Joe Dante. They were just like, we we don't, we can't replicate this formula. It's sort of like in the early 90s, like you would see like movies trying to be weird, like in a Tim Burton-y way. Mm-hmm. And like if Tim Burton wasn't there, it was just regular weird and not like fun weird. It was like they kind of had that. They're like, we don't understand why this worked, but we needed to work again. And, you know, it's a good reminder that movie execs are sometimes people that don't even like movies and they don't understand them. They're not into them. They're just there to make money. And so they're just like, yeah, we'll just give him all the money. He can do whatever he wants. I mean, I'll just come out and say it. I like this one better than the first one. There's things about the first one that I really like. I've seen this one more than the first one because this is the one that I watched a bunch as a kid. I only watched the first one like two, three times as a kid. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of coming around to be the same way. I don't know if I'm quite there yet, but... I'm closing in on it. Like, it's neck and neck right now, I feel. So I said in the uh, when we did Gremlins last year for Christmas in December, one of my criticisms was that tonally the movie's a little all over the place, which is okay. Like, it should be. It's a horror comedy. How do you smooth that out? They do that here. They find a way to focus it and really kind of grind off those harder edges of, like, what a horror comedy can be in like the the up and down of it and i love it i'm just like yes this is what i wanted the first one to feel like oh okay like and they do it right off the map by setting the tone that like this is a cartoon everybody because it starts with those the daffy duck and bugs bunny (laughs) chuck jones came out of retirement to direct these little segments like the cold open and like the closer of the movie yeah i love a movie that teaches you how to watch it and it tells you right at the beginning you're watching a cartoon music knowing that going in i don't take anything seriously i'm like i'm watching a cartoon and so you know when we get like phoebe cates saying like abraham lincoln that reminds me of president's day and she starts to launch into it's like oh you're making fun of your own fucking movie washington didn't give up lincoln didn't give up. please what's wrong oh don't mention lincoln something terrible happened to me on Lincoln's birthday. I mean, that scene, of course, was so controversial, like in the first one. And I love that they bring it up, and then like it's, Billy is just like, "We don't have time for the this." Best. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't remember that at all. I haven't. I don't know when I saw this movie. Okay. It must have been at least like twenty plus years. But when that happened, I was like, "Oh, thank you, thank it, you, thank you, thank it's you." It's the perfect way to reference it. Like this is the same world. This is the same character. But like. Obviously, because you were against it in Gremlins 1. Yeah. And so, like, the way that, like, you know, Billy's like, oh, God, here we go. And, like, Murray Futterman's like, oh, boy. <laughs> Let's settle in here. And <laughs> Zach Allegan's like, we don't we don't have time for this, honey. We, we, gotta, uh. we gotta go. And it's like, what a perfect way to, like, address it and then, like, move forward. Because then, like, it pans over and, like, Marla's over there and she's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Marla. Okay. Do you want to talk about Marla right now? Yeah, we, why not? Should we just do it? Problematic redhead. Is she? Yes. Why? Because she's using her sexuality and... Um, but isn't one of your problems... Kind of bitch. Isn't one of your problems with redheads is that they're often seen as like 
non-sexual monsters. No, the opposite. They they're too sexy. They're either the sexy best friend. Only, or only women though. Women, Men are women. never the no, sexy no, ones. Right, right, right. right. But uh, women are often seen as like the sexy monsters. She does. I she guess, has an arc. She does though. have an arc. It comes around a little bit in the end. When but... she's caught in that web, she apologizes she... enough. Listen, about Billy, nothing happened. I asked him out to dinner. It was strictly business. All right, it wasn't totally, completely, absolutely business. I'll be honest with you. It'll be a cathartic openness thing. I did have designs on him. I didn't get to first base, okay? It'll do. I mean, I kind of come around on her at the end, but like, there was a lot of this movie where I was also on tinter hooks, on on grabbing the couch. It, it's also like a little inference that you know she marries rich, so yeah. He didn't notice her with the glasses. She took the glasses I totally, off. I was like, as a glasses wearer, I was deeply offended. <laughs> oh, is that a new one? It's like don't can't hardly wait me on this or love don't buy a thing me on uh-huh, this uh-huh. it's like yeah she wears glasses and like <laughs> men just ignore her suddenly she takes him off and suddenly she's the love of of daniel clamp's life i learned a fun fact about that actress yeah while researching this movie huh. she is the voice of corbin dallas's mother from the fifth element you miserable bastard i never should have pushed you out <gasps> fun i know i was so excited to see that yeah, I looked her up, and I've seen her in other stuff, but like her look in this movie is very different from how she looks in other movies. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it it just this is sort of a singular performance for her, and it's good. Yeah. I, I I like her 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 role in here. Yeah, kind of like Varla too. Marla, 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 Marla takes Billy to the Canadian restaurant. <laughs> what a weird, what a weird thing. Like the why would sandlers? Why like... would you go there on a date? I like how, like Billy spills his beer and he's like, "You want another Molson, eh?" <laughs> this is a favorite Canadian dessert, the chocolate mousse. Can I cut you an antler? I was watching for like, I was like, "Does this movie pass the Bechtel test?" Like, I'm always kind of watching that in it, and it's like, you know, there's the scene in in the web near the end. They are talking about Billy, though. They're talking about Billy until she like pulls out like her little like nail clippers with like the knife in it and is able to cut the web mm-hmm. and uh marla says like oh you are such a prepared woman so i was like i guess that counts uh also when mrs futterman gets to the apartment like when their, their first scene uh-huh. she points to phoebe cates and goes little piggers <laughs> <laughs> little piggers flying colors <laughs> yeah, that this movie yeah. gets Totally passes the Vectal test. <laughs> okay, on the topic of the Futtermans, yeah, totally thought they were dead. Here, well, the I mean, it's sort of implied that the Gremlins kill them. Leading up to watching this, something in my mind was like, wait a minute, because I listened to our old episode, and I listened to the Gorley and Rust episode on Gremlins, which just came out recently, and I was thinking, like, I remember Dick Miller being in Gremlins too. And then I was like, wait a minute, I remember both of the Futtermans being in Gremlins 2. And I was like, ah, oh, that can't be right, because they definitely died in Gremlins in the first one. I'm sure of it. And sure enough, those credits are rolling, and it says Dick Miller and... Jackie Joseph. Right. And I was like, wait a minute! And then they talk about the Futtermans coming to visit, and I was I mean, they... They write it. It's a writing problem. They're just like, oh, yeah, that bulldozer bulldozed his house and gave him a lot of trauma, but uh, didn't really kill him. Yeah, because, I mean, it's not like we see their cadavers or something in the first Gremlins. It's just implied. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like, it does the thing where it's like they hug each other and they're screaming as, like, the camera's closing in, implying that the bulldozer's coming at them. And then that's the last we see of them. Yeah. I almost wish that it wasn't the Futtermans, though. I mean, I want Dick Miller back because he has a great arc in this movie. But I wanted Lynn Peltzer to come back. The I wanted- mom? Yes. Who else is better to handle fighting gremlins? Oh, that's true. The the fucking gremlin predator, <laughs> like the the woman famous for killing the most number of gremlins single-handedly. I mean, she's the one they should be calling when this goes down. They should be like, get Lynn Peltzer on she's the phone. She's gonna bring a microwave and a butcher's knife, and she'll take care of the whole problem. Don't worry, Lynn's got it. I thought she. W- I thought for sure she would be a better thing to bring back, but whatever. <laughs> just put that Johnny Mathis on. I'll take the whole, take care of the whole problem. <laughs> she pulls out two knives. <laughs> she's ready to go. Uh, Lynn Peltzer, though, represented by an apple pie that got sat on in this movie. Still the greatest mom. Oh, yeah. And uh, in the kitchen is the uh, uh, Peltzer egg cracker thing. Yes. They also had the coffee machine. Oh, d- okay. I noticed. The, essentially a Keurig. Right. Like, yeah. puts out mud. So. <laughs> yeah. Fun. That's fun stuff. Fun stuff. I don't know if there was as many little production Easter eggs because it's like in the first one, remember how it's like when the mom's like watching the gremlin in the microwave, you can see the one that she just stabbed sort of writhing in the background. I didn't notice things like that this time. I feel like all the jokes are, are front and center. And I saw a few. I, there are a few. They're not as heavy. Like, like, the, or, like it, the cow that we can read its thoughts, and it's like, I enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy giving, giving milk. milk. <laughs> I enjoy giving milk. That's funny. That's a background that's, that's, joke. Uh, is it background? That cow walks very front and center <laughs> through the frame. Mm, we'll make a poll about it. We'll okay, see. Okay. Is the cow in Gremlins 2 a, a foreground joke or a background joke? <laughs> I'm sure this is very topical for a lot. I'm sure lots of people have been thinking about yeah. this. And they're waiting to voice their opinion on the matter. Yeah, yeah. But there's there's a lot in this movie. This is one of those times where I'm like, I'm so glad that, that like this script went into capable hands. Because there's a fair amount of table setting, but it's done real brisk. And it, it like it hits it and it it's memorable and then it gets out like all the stuff in splice of life like at the beginning like they're feeding the rat the electric cheese billy sees that weird spider thing There's well a- the part where they where he's talking on the phone with phoebe cates and he's like nothing works around here it's a video phone and oh like, right right yeah and so and like we see how like the video phone at work like there's just a lot of stuff like right at the beginning like all this stuff comes back eventually and especially like in the splice of life because that you know that's really the fruit of the movie is like all these gremlin mutations <sighs> isn't that great and for those of you who have not seen the <clears throat> key and peel sketch about the the gremlins two writers room just pause it right now go watch it it's spoiler filled but it doesn't even matter so is this podcast <laughs> i'm sorry let me introduce myself hi y'all my name is Star Magic Jackson Jr. I'm the Hollywood sequel doctor. So studio just brings me in to oversee things when they about to drop a deuce. I love it. I want I want more. I mean, I don't even feel like we got enough. We got vegetable gremlin. We've got We got brainy gremlin we've voiced got by bat Tony gremlin. Randall. I love when Bat Gremlin leaves and he leaves the Batman's per- perfect insignia. Bat mark. Mentioned in the Key and Peel sketch. Oh, like 
it's so stupid. <laughs> Electricity gremlin. We get the spider gremlin. We get the lady gremlin. It's the best. This movie, and what I kind of like, usually this would bother me, but this movie does not adhere to its own rules. Because it's like, <laughs> one gremlin like gets shot like multiple times through the chest. Oh, right. And, he's and is drinking in- a beaker full of milk. <laughs> And then, like, the milk starts, like, spurting out well, of the Well, that's what holes. happens in cartoons, so it's a cartoon, Matt. But then the brainy gremlin shoots that one child gremlin on the talk show set, and it dies with one bullet. Like, <laughs> Wait, what made you think that was a child gremlin? You mean the one in the beanie going, Wow, that's dark. I just thought he was, like, a dork. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally like a child gremlin. Oh, well, that's a little sad. Wow, way to take me down, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I also like when the brainy gremlin shoots the kid. Uh, Fred, the vampire <laughs> interviewer, just gets up and leaves. <laughs> He's like, all right, I've had enough. I've always remembered that. Fred, what we want is, I think, what everyone wants and what you and your viewers have. Civilization. I didn't notice this until this uh, watch, but I love in that segment when um, the vampire interviewer uh, is like... now Fred these... is the character's Fred. name. I don't remember the actor's name, but he's been in two other X-rated movies. <gasps> Which ones? A little movie called Broadcast News. That's right. Oh, yeah, okay. And uh, Christine, he's the garage owner. Oh, right, yes, okay. You know, listeners out there might know him as uh, uh, the, the boss of the TV network in Mrs. Doubtfire. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's practically an X-rated staple at this point. <laughs> yes. Whatever his name is. But like, <laughs> but quick. The thing he says is, he's like, uh, these uh, c- creatures. Uh, is creatures the correct term? And uh, the brainy one goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I laughed really hard at that part. I also like that it's like they put Fred in wardrobe and he never gets out of it. He's walking around the building, like reading the paper in his vampire wardrobe. I know. He doesn't he never comes out of it. You obviously must hate this. Like you hate your job as like host of like this like late night horror movie. God, okay, here we go. Now I gotta get comfortable. He loves Matt. He loves his job. But capitalism because that comes back in this movie. Oh, yeah. Has crushed his creativeness. But it didn't crush his creativeness. It pushed him to the three o'clock in the morning spot, Matt. Yeah, but he didn't want to be doing this to begin with. Well, here's my read. I'm going to rewind a little further. Uh, something we didn't mention on the first Gremlins episode is that, like, Gremlins as a term came about as like malfunctions in uh, machinery, yeah, with with World War One, and like that's where you get like the Twilight Zone Gremlin. And if you think about Gremlins One, most people die because of malfunctioning equipment. Like, it, you think yeah, of, it like, looks like an accident, right? That bleeds over into this movie because like the the building's a smart building, quote unquote, and like things malfunction all the time, and. There's an issue with the uh, Fred's show where he's like, and that's where we're supposed to have a moan. Like, and yeah. that is something you can't chalk up to gremlins. That's something you chalk up to human error. For sure. And so, therefore, I think 
that that's important that it's like he as like you look at that show and you're like oh look at all this creative stuff going on there's puppets one that looks like a gremlin and like it's it's sort of like a meta thing saying like look at how creative the show is and how awesome it is and the reason it fails is because people don't believe in it like not it's not because like something technical uh is going on it's because like somebody failed at their job now let's fast forward to when gizmo gets wet yes we have i see where you're going with this we have a malfunctioning water fountain that is getting fixed by a person who has been treated like a POS and who is complaining about the fact that the CEO of the building is getting paid $375 to take a piss for 30 seconds, whereas he has to fix this water fountain and is making like three cents for the same amount of time. And, and that someone's after his job. And yeah. These young and you know guys what? And you know what? Power. He, he, doesn't do a good, he doesn't do a good job on it. And guess what happens? You get gremlins, bitch. So maybe capitalism is the problem. Maybe that's the thing. Or maybe it's deviance from capitalism. By your example, him not being the good cog in the machine and fixing the water fountain is what creates the gremlins. Yeah. Well, maybe we, we shouldn't have a system set up where somebody has to be a cog in the machine. Someone's got to fix that water fountain. Yeah, well, maybe there should be some income equality involved with it. (laughs) Maybe, perhaps. I don't know. These are things this movie brings up is all I'm saying. (laughs) One, he got moved to the 3 a.m. slot because he was showing Attack of the Octopus people. They made him. He wanted to show the classics. He didn't necessarily want to show the classics. Billy's like, why don't you show the classics? And they're like, those are in black and white. And Mr. Clamp only wants color, which is... You know, we'll talk about Daniel Clamp in a moment. Ah, we haven't even got Daniel Clamp. But, you know, I guess he's modeled off the grandpa from the Munsters who hosted roughly the same show. Matt, the original, I know this is a different show, but the Adams Family, Gomez, is the one who plays the water fountain fixer. And and Gizmo says, Gomez. Nuh-uh. Yeah. But the movie that they're showing, Attack of the Octopus People, is actually a movie called Octoman. Oh. Uh, which is what my octopus teacher's based on. What? <laughs> no. Uh, Octoman was a horror movie that supposedly is not very good. I've never seen it. That Rick Baker did the costume and effects for. Oh. And Rick Baker did the co- all the gremlin designs in this, even though he was not part of the first one. First one, all the gremlin de- designs were by Chris Wallace, I believe his name is. Okay. And he was trying to, like, become a director, so he directed, like, the sequel to The Fly, and oh. uh, he did another movie, too, that is, like, rightfully forgotten. But so he he was like, oh, no, I'm too big for that now to design gremlins. <sighs> so Rick Baker came on, and, like, as a little nod to Rick Baker, they put on... Uh, this octopus people. Rick Baker is a name I should know. Right? Rick He's a Baker name. did the effects, and let me fact check this. Rick Baker designed the transformation scene in American Werewolf in London. Yes. Oh, like, he, he's done a bunch of other stuff. Like, he even did, like, uh, if memory serves, like, he did all of the uh, creature effects in Galaxy Quest. Oh. Like, oh, those are good. Yeah. So, no, no, no. Big name in the uh, creature effects cool. arena. Okay. okay, 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 okay. And so, yeah, when they couldn't get Chris Wallace to come back, they they were like, well, Rick Baker. And Rick Baker was like, I don't want to do it. Like, I'd just be doing someone else's designs. And 
uh, Joe Dante was like, no, I want to do like a lot of like gremlin variations in this one. And he's like, yeah, okay, I can do that. He's just like two words, vegetable gremlin. <laughs> and honestly, the gremlins do look a little different. A, they're a lot wetter in this one. They're, they're much mm-hmm. more moist. When I watch Brainy Gremlin talk, it looks so fucking real. Like, I know we harp on this, but practical effects. They, so much more impressive. Ah, it just doesn't get better. It looks so good. I actually like Gizmo's emoting on this too. Like, we had close-ups of Gizmo in the first one, but I think, like, the close-ups of Gizmo in this one are a little more His fucking emotive. lip quivers. Like, yeah. when they rip off, like, the black, like, the morning armband and, like... Uh, I just I laughed really hard because like he in that scene Zach Galligan's like what is this is this a little black armband is that what happened to the old man that used to take care of you what a leap it is a little bit like we don't really wear black armbands like in memoriam these days but it's like it it used to be a thing like you'd wear a black armband like uh, uh, to remember Someone who'd passed. I mean, I assumed he was wearing it because he watched Rambo. I assumed that's something in Rambo, which I've never seen. So You know, I've never seen that Rambo. I've seen the first Rambo, and I saw not the last Rambo, but the second to last Rambo, okay. and that's it. I just assumed that that is something that happens in Rambo, so that's why he's wearing it. But to make the leap that it's like, oh, this must be because of <laughs> your friend. Well, I mean, it, like, it's supposed to signify that like someone died, and that you're trying to remember them. And so I think that's why he made the leap. I don't think it was Rambo related. (laughs) Going back to the shop, the Chinatown shop that he has, there's a moment and it's the first malfunction we have in the movie. But Robert Picardo, who is the hologram doctor from Star Trek Voyager, just going to throw that out there. He's a hologram? He's a hologram, yeah. Hmm. I'm only most of the way through season one. He doesn't have a name yet. So he's just the doctor. But um, he's also the voice of the taxi in Total Recall. Right. I like Robert Picardo a lot, actually. I think he's a pretty good character actor from the 90s. Um, Check him out. He's in lots of stuff. But um, he where was I going with Robert Picardo Uh, at the the, the Chinese shop? First malfunction. Oh, yes. First malfunction. While he's got the video playing of um, Clamp talking about trying to buy the place. Take a look, Mr. Wayne. The uh, Clamp Chinatown Center, where business gets oriented. <laughs> There's a cutaway to Robert Picardo, like, taking an umbrella and, like, trying to open it. Yep. And it doesn't work. It yeah. malfunctions. Oh. And it's just, like, it's, a, like, as soon as I learned that, like, oh, gremlins are a thing about, like, things malfunctioning, I can't unsee it. And it's th- it's forever in this movie. That's and it true. Goes, yeah. It goes to the point of being, like, the projector that you're watching the movie on malfunctions. Just tell us where you saw the things. Don't patronize me, young man. They're real. I saw them. I know. I've seen them too. But where? In my laboratory. In Spruce of Life. Stupid name, I know. That wasn't my own. So Joe Dante, uh, you know, he's a big Looney Tunes fan. He he even did like like Looney Tunes, like what was it, Back in Action or something mm-hmm. like that. He directed that. And if in interviews, like he'll like when he's asked, like you know, what are some of like the best of those old Chuck Jones? His favorite is the one where Daffy Duck gets into an argument with the animator. Buster 
It may come as a complete surprise to you to find that this is an animated cartoon. That says so much about Joe Dante's interest. It's like, one, he loves cartoons. I even think he was an animator to a certain degree. Or, yes, he or, was a, a comic books. He yeah. used to draw comic books, yeah. So it's like he loves cartoons, he loves animation, but he also loves meta humor. I mean, he loves monster movies. If you ever watch uh, Matinee, it is like a concentration of like all these like different types of metaphor. Like he, uh, Joe Dante will like play a game or like he used to. He's like name the monster, name the metaphor. Because it's like, especially those old like 50 movies, like it was either like Cold War paranoia or sexual frustration or, you know, something along those lines. So he's big into like monsters being metaphors for something else. So it's like gremlins being both, you know, malfunction, but also being like the terrors of capitalism. Unfettered growth. That's his absolute wheelhouse. That's exactly what he's about. Growing up, I watched the VHS of this. Same. That's the first time I saw it. So in in the VHS, they make it look like it's a VHS distortion, and that like your tape is is uh, uh, tangled, uh-huh. uh, and it goes into an old John Wayne movie, right? Where the Gremlins are having a shootout with John Wayne, right. and then like John Wayne like slowly shoots all the Gremlins, and like then it gets back into the movie. Uh-huh. And I'm really, really glad that at least for like for the Blu-ray, which is what I watched, they put in the theatrical cut, which I really had never seen up until like I got the Blu-ray. It it makes it look like the film's melting, a la a theater with the hot you uh-huh. know projection lamp. And they do the shadow puppets. And they do. The, I mean, the shadow puppets were in the the right. VHS. Which I'm just gonna say, I will never not laugh at the Abraham Lincoln one. <laughs> it's so it good. makes me laugh Force every guard, fucking seven years time. Ago. It's the funniest thing. <laughs> oh, it's right up there with uh, uh, Mr. Poopy Pants. Like I laugh every time. <laughs> but I like this better because it cuts to the theater and like the moms complain like this is even worse than the first that mom is also a mom in the first gremlins oh she's, oh she's the one coming out of the bank the and one saying, that can't like, pay the rent i don't know if we'll be able to eat honey yeah yeah uh and like the theater manager the usher is paul bartell, paul bartell. director of private parts exactly yeah um, a lot of fun a lot of fun yeah that's a lot of fun and then he goes in the theater and he gets Hulk Hogan. Okay, you guys, listen up. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. How intense is Hulk Hogan? Like, he just, like, he can turn it on and turn it off. He really can. It's like, he's just like, Gremlins in the projection booth. (laughs) He's like, when people pay good money to see a movie, they want cold soda, hot popcorn. Popcorn. (laughs) And he's like crushing the popcorn. It's it's great. It's so good. This was my. I think honestly, if I had to like draw a line to the, my first introduction, if it wasn't the Daffy Duck cartoon that you mentioned earlier, it's this. It's this. Like this is what your meta introduction humor to is. meta. Yeah. yeah, this is meta humor, and I just remember as a kid delighting in like thinking that my VCR was broken. And then realizing this is part of the movie, something about that really 
imprinted on me and i heard that in the novelization of this book yeah yeah i was like i I remember that was like a big thing for a long time it's still but he did it too where he he like had uh the brain gremlin take over for the author and describe like things and it's just like i love that it's like they did it for the film they did it for the the vhs and the novelization like they just took that that moment to be like oh this is what you're doing you're reading a book you're watching a VHS. You're in a theater watching it. They, and the theater is fucking referenced to the first one because they go into a movie in that one. And they like the, the, the theater projectionist like, like, they just want Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Call the Union. Call the National Guard. Those things have taken over the projector. They refuse to show the rest of the film. All they want to say is Snow White, the Seven Dwarves. But they, also, like, they have Leonard Maltin. Leonard Maltin. His, like actual review of the first gremlins now i know some people found this movie fun but me i'd rather spend two hours having root canal work done what's fun about a movie full of ugly slimy mean-spirited gloppy little monsters who run amok and attack innocent people our moviegoers so desperate for entertainment that this kind of trash and has for fun whoa wait a minute and then just having him like speak negatively of the first movie while like the gremlins like choke him with like a film reel like just that's so like it's just the exact type of meta humor that like i mean this is the kind of stuff that dreams are made of (laughs) and i mean okay i i say that jokingly but honestly we talked about this on uh, the Secret of Nim episode a little bit where it's like we talk about Hollywood being a dream factory. It's like, give me dreams like this once in a while. <laughs> like it doesn't yeah. need to be like, you know, every day we get these weird fucking like, hey, you get complete creative control and here's a millions of dollars. I think you got like 50 million to make this movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, but once in a while, just like give them free reign. Because once in a while, I want a dream like this. I just feel like lately, Hollywood hasn't been giving me dreams that I'm interested in. Like, I'm getting a lot of superhero dreams. I'm getting a lot of, like, very realism shit. Like, I don't want that. Like, I, give me something that's, like, complete yeah, you got, you badass. Yeah, you got Nomadland or you got, you know, uh, Avengers Endgame or yeah. something. Like, give me cuckoo banana stuff like this. You, you got a movie that's, like, $8 million and a movie that's $800 million. And, like, there's just not a lot in between these days. And uh, these are the dreams I want to have, you know, like I, I don't know. Like when we talk about Dream Factory, this is what I'm talking about. Uh, I don't know if you intended this, but you fooled me on Gremlins 1, Matt, where you said that when we were talking about the rules about the Gremlins Mm. and you were like, oh, what if one gets a seed caught in his teeth and we cross time zones? And I was like, good point. (laughs) And then I got to this movie and I was like, wait a minute. I was just borrowing from Gremlins too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean a little bit. Like, A, I think the rules are like, they're needlessly arbitrary. And it's sort of like you with like the Phoebe Cates speech, where it's like the fact that they're addressing it gives me so much satisfaction. Oh, and I love it that they shut him down by like having a gremlin kill those yeah, people. Yeah, it's like, oh, you think you're smart? Well, you're going to die. Guess what? Gremlins kill you. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. What about this? What if they're eating in an airplane and they cross a time zone? I mean, it's always midnight somewhere. (laughs) Like I said, in our previous episode about Gremlins, I have problems with the rules, but I love that this movie just addresses it, and they addresses it by killing people who question them. (laughs) For some reason, them addressing the arbitrariness of the rules and, like, 
you know, Billy's like frustrated. He's like, I didn't make the rules, you guys. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, that just takes away all the problems that I actually have with it. It's like, I don't have the problems with the rules in this movie for some reason. I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I barely care in this movie. <laughs> And just, yeah, seeing, like, the people who are, like, nitpicky and snarky about it, it's, like, seeing, like, an online troll just, like, get owned by, like, the thing that, like, (laughs) they're trying to own. Yeah, it's the best. I did have problems with the fact that the Clamp Tower is hopping after midnight? Like, why is that Froyo saying I 100% have that note that, like, they get to the building, it's after midnight, it's, like, it's too late, they've already eaten... And it's like that Froyo stand is just alive. It's fully stacked. It's 12.05 and there's like a line. And it's this woman complaining if the peanut butter cups are all natural or not. Yeah. That's my one sticking point with this movie. (laughs) The the manager's like, well, I know they're pesticide free. That's that's not not the the same. same. (laughs) But I'm like... Who's getting Froyo at 1 a.m.? <laughs> Much less several people. I mean, I understand there's like a studio. And so like uh, maybe they're filming all night. And maybe this is all just people who work in the building. Yeah, yeah. But it was hopping. It felt like a mall at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It felt like the lunch rush. Yeah. <laughs> like, I. But I like when, uh, uh, when the stripe gremlin mm-hmm. pops out of the M&M's. And uh, the one lady goes, oh, <laughs> and that one old dude with the white hair is like, did, did you see that there was rats? He's like, no. She said there was no rats. I was like, yes. She screamed, no rats. <laughs> that old timer, though, Jerry Goldsmith. Oh, I love it. I was like, no offense to like the casting director, but this guy's a little, he stands out a little bit. Uh, so I, like, I looked it up, and yeah, uh, I was like, oh, it's Jerry Goldsmith. So it's a little, little composer cameo. Boom, boom. Jerry Goldsmith on a trip in this movie. Just so many references. The big one that stood out to me is like after all the gremlins are melted uh, via the electric gremlin, there's a music cue that is 100% the Wendy Carlos shining theme that is a reference, I think, to the first one where you mentioned that like, is this a shining reference? It's not even adjacent. It's like, this is the same notes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I mean, Jerry Goldsmith, like, maybe all he really wants to do is just, like, high strings or something. But it's like, you know, I really feel like he got to let his his white curly hair down on this one. (laughs) Bless him. He's having fun. I'm not a composer. I can't say what composers do or do not like to compose. But it's like just like the old, the sound effects from like Looney Tunes, like oh, sound design. The, well, the, like the googly-eyed gremlin, like anytime he comes on, like the music has like ducks quacking and like weird sound effects and like the sound design boinging and... had a ball. And I I have both the Warner Brothers and the Hanna Barbera sound effects for this, <laughs> okay. and I'm like, oh, we use a lot of those on the show. <laughs> And there's a Wilhelm scream in this there movie. There is, there is, and there's no uh, uh, eagle noise or, or no eagle ho- noise that I know. I think Hollywood that, hawk noise. I think that was like 
it got it got trite in the into the mid 90s so i think mm. it wasn't quite a thing yet mm. but like uh but every hanna-barbera and warner brothers uh sound effect you can imagine is in this movie and like they must have been having a ball making that because it's like they're just everywhere the, uh, yeah oh no just really once the initial batch of new mogwais is turning into gremlins on the microwave with marge show which microwave they're bringing back as the first movie <laughs> well it's like and when you look on that show there's just a whole row of microwaves behind her <laughs> oh is there <laughs> yeah it's like eight microwaves just right in a row and then the one at the very end is a really big one. Oh, that's the one they're throwing that's like, the one that they throw the the metal in i love that like you know they're like utensils you can't throw that in a microwave it's such a reference to the old one where it's like don't put living things in a microwave it's like it's like ah like this movie's referencing itself would you watch microwave with marge yeah probably she's funny (laughs) well she's drunk yeah that's what makes it good (laughs) she's making like some sort of like bourbon bean dip or something or no bourbon and sherry sherry bologna bean dip i'm very excited about this recipe it's so piquant with sherry some people use a dash i use a lot she's a character actress i've seen her in a bunch of junk well then she's like pouring a bunch of scotch into her tuna noodle (laughs) cheddar chowder casserole or whatever and then she like pours herself a big belt of scotch afterwards. Oh, yeah, she's loving it. So all right, loving qu- life. <laughs> yeah, she, she's got a sweet gig. <laughs> she microwaves shit on TV and gets paid for it. Yeah. Like and gets, and wasted, gets while wasted while doing it. While doing it. <laughs> hey, that's like hey, us if we got paid. Yeah, <laughs> I guess we get paid. Uh, I'm gonna take this moment to thank our extras. <laughs> sure. So go thank for you. It. Yeah, thank you question for you in the in the umbrella of this movie not following its own rules yes so she lifts the lid off her tuna noodle chowder casserole whatever oh i know what you're gonna say (laughs) and the googly-eyed gremlin comes out is he not wet soaking wet why is he not already multiplying problematic (laughs) i'm just like does this not count as as being wet like does it have to be water and like th- this is like more bourbon and cheese than I mean, water Matt, if we're gonna talk about this uh uh splice up your life they're drinking liquids all the time well, in this lab so i'm thinking it's not that they can't drink water they can't get wet is the rule how far out of their mouths does the water need to be before like little pustules of gremlins start popping out that's what i want to know yeah i'm gonna say it's gonna be like Outside the lip region, which okay, so the lips, <laughs> yeah, like hmm. it's got to be outside. Gremlina's got big <laughs> lips. I was also gonna say when these gremlins are like drinking these various like potions or whatever, oh, they're spilling them everywhere. They're, they're everywhere, everywhere. Like I don't know why that's not making them multiply. Oh, but like gremlins have to be able to drink water. I mean, I, I know there's the theory that gremlins are aliens and like. That's why, like, they can't do sunlight and they can't do water, like, these things that are... Also, apparently cement isn't wet enough to be... Yeah, even though that's just, like, powder and water. <sighs> okay, 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 I'm sorry. But I- I'm thinking that, like, you know, at least in in the greater Gremlins universe, they might not be aliens. Maybe it's that 
you know, we've never seen one live more than a couple days. Maybe they only have the lifespan of like a week. Hmm. And so like Mogwais can live for like a long time, but in gremlin form, maybe their lifespan is only like a week. And so like the sunlight water thing, like maybe that's why it's never been such a problem. That's like why gremlins haven't overtaken the earth is because like their lifespan, it's very short. It's like mm-hmm. a house fly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. I'm going to take this moment to bring up a very important point. Okay. Uh, put on your helmet because I'm about to blow your mind. Okay. So I mentioned this and we didn't really discuss it too much in uh, Gremlins 1, but it comes back here. But uh, there's an issue I have with the fact that Gizmo seems to only birth evil Mogwai. So that makes me wonder... Is the natural state of Mogwai what Gizmo births? And therefore Gizmo is some sort of exception to what Mogwai are like? Or is Gizmo some sort of defective Mogwai who is not like what regular Mogwai are like and he but he still births like regular ones. So like and defective in that like He's infected by gremlins. There, I said it. (laughs) Infected by gremlins? Well, no, uh, I thought you were going to say, like, does Gizmo have, like, a learning disability? (laughs) (laughs) Why is he so different? Or or, what is it? What is is it with with Gizmo? I think Gizmo maybe uh, is a more enlightened Mogwai. He's operating on a higher plane, but regresses from time to time because... The moment he's exposed to TV, he wants more. So, like, he still has that strand of, like, consumerism. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants HBO. He wants MTV. You know. Oh, yeah. He, he, he wants cable. He can't get enough. But, like, he's held it back, you know, or, or, or like, he's he's learned. He's evolved. He's a more evolved Mogwai. But yeah. he can't give birth to evolved Mogwai. He gives birth well, to. Well, because it's not genetic. It's learned. He's multiplying. He's giving birth, essentially, to uh, basic Mogwai. Wow, that bugs me, because then it seems like you should really be teaching teach the children well, well and let them, them learn the, the way. way. <laughs> but he's just sort of like, ah, oh, well, oh, there's the more fucked generation. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's I definitely... That's kind of Gizmo's problem. <laughs> I mean, this is maybe why the other Mogwai or Gremlins never kill Gizmo, like they'll torture him, but they don't kill him because they know that like he's still part of the pack. They'll give him shit. They'll give him grief. They'll haze him. Do they torture him as Mogwai in this movie? I don't think so. I think they're They gremlins. just throw him in the ventilation system. Right, and then they torture him later as gremlins. As gremlins, right. yeah. Okay, 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 okay. I mean, that's kind of how the first one was, Yeah, too. that sounds on par. That sounds about right. But like they don't kill him, and they could. They kill other people, but yeah, I, I think there, there's sort of a brotherhood thing going on that like they'll gi- they'll give Gizmo shit, but they won't like kill him. Which they put him in that copy machine, and I remember putting like my face in a Bright copy machine as a light. kid. And then there's that gremlin at the very tail end who like the Polaroid flash kills and turns into a skeleton. This movie does not follow its own rules. By the way, that's one of my favorite moments in this movie. Is the when, Polaroid? Yeah, I love it. It just immediately turns into a skeleton. Yeah. I laughed 
really hard. And he's and he's holding the the puppet from Fred's show. Yep, 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 yep. So good. I love the Phantom of the Opera gremlin. Oh, yep. <laughs> he gets ass in the face, screams, and immediately is like, <laughs> now this is my life now. Flash forward an hour later, and he's playing the organ and doing the D minor toccata or whatever it is. My Phantom of the Opera gremlin. <laughs> I don't know why that works. Like, honestly, like... You when, could cut that out easy <laughs> from the more, movie. When I'm talking about it, I'm like, that's just stupid as fuck. But I love it. It it, just, it has no bearing on the movie as a whole. None! Phantom of the Opera of Gremlin doesn't even kill anybody. No, <laughs> no plot importance whatsoever. But did you laugh? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's good stuff. Okay, good. Why? I don't know. I don't even want to analyze it. I just, I love it. Yeah, when Phoebe Cates brings home, like, the the crazy one, uh-huh. uh, and, like, Billy gets home, and he's, you know, got the lipstick on, which, if I was Billy, I would have just hedged my bet, e- even if I didn't know it was there. I was like, oh, yeah, Marla got drunk and tried to kiss me, so that's a conversation with HR tomorrow. <laughs> like, just yeah. cover your bases, man. Yeah, or look in the mirror once. <laughs> I know. So... Yeah, they they get home and like it's it's the the uh, Daffy Gremlin like you know wired and Phoebe Cates like he's wired, and I was like, yeah, you're also putting him with all the hostess snacks, like mm-hmm. maybe not surround him with sugar and candy, like as a, a method of dewiring him. Could be a comment on. Um... She feeds him KFC though. Or something similar, yeah. Dinner box. I mean, dinner box with fried chicken and like half a corn on the cob. Well, I just assumed That's it was KFC. I just assumed the fried chicken was a recall to the first one. Oh yeah, that was just that my... full uncovered plate of fried chicken, chicken wings. <laughs> yeah, that's. I just assumed that's what that was. He doesn't eat the chicken though. He only eats the corn on the cob. Yeah, he throws the chicken at her and the mashed potatoes. I thought that was a biscuit with gravy on it. Oh, I thought no, I thought it was the mashed because KFC used to have those like styrofoam containers that was like the oh. mashed potatoes and the gravy like all together. This is another poll. <laughs> <laughs> what and, does googly eyed Mogwai throw at Phoebe Cates? Is it mashed potatoes and gravy or biscuit with gravy? KFC didn't give a biscuit with gravy though. But they had biscuits. They had biscuits and they had gravy, but they were in one container. Yeah, but this is chicken box or whatever it was. This is KFC. Wow. We th- this is you know, uh uh legally distinctive fried chicken box. Okay. Okay. Legally distinctive. <laughs> Let's talk about uh Clamp. Not our first John Glover movie. What's the other one? Uh, Batman and Robin. Oh, right. Oh, my God. He's the doctor, like the botanist or whatever that like tries to kill Uma Thurman. Right. I always think Poison Ivy. So I always think John Glover is the manager from Office Space. It's not him. It's not him. No. Different guy. He's perfect in this role. I love this character anytime he says oh i like that (laughs) it kind of makes me smile because like he like he was modeled after trump and ted Ted Turner. turner but i think it's like like the way that maga people like envision trump in their head like this is that i was like 
like, like Daniel Clamp is like a businessman, but he's also like, he's got the nice corner office, but he's also got like nothing to do. Betty, did you finish shredding my mail from this morning yet? I'm just finishing, Mr. Clamp. Good. Um, let's, uh, oh, let's do some memos. He's stumbled into this position. Like I think most rich people do. Yeah. And he's just sort of like, yes, this speaks to me. Yeah. And because I'm an important person, this must mean something. Because I have means and resources, like I can act upon these whims. Yeah. But like there is something that's almost like, I don't know, like boyishly charming about him. Oh, he's an idiot. He's He's a (laughs) fucking idiot. And I like that. He doesn't deserve to be where he is, and he kind of knows that. Yeah, there's an insecurity about him that he's like, I have to make something of myself, otherwise I'm just a fraud. And I don't know how to do that. Yeah. But I do the best I can. And I like that about him because it makes him, it makes a fucking person that I would hate, someone who's based off of Trump or Ted Turner, yeah, uh, likable. Yeah. Like, you, you do kind of like him, like... I guess in the original script, he was more the villain, and they kind of gave the more villainy aspects to uh, Robert Picardo. Okay. And he has villainy aspects to him. Yeah. But he seems too dumb to be a villain. Yeah. And I don't know. I like the idea that he's not malicious in any way. He's just like, you know, he's a good salesman, and he's charismatic, it's almost like he's a victim of capitalism himself. Uh, in a way, he's yeah. He's like Peter Principal to the top of this thing, and he's just like, I don't know what to do anymore. That, that's a good way to put it, yeah. That, like, yeah, he just Peter Principled his way up to the top. <laughs> when the opportunity arrives for him to actually do something, he's really excited. Like, yeah. He genuinely, like, wants to do good. He feels like I've got a purpose suddenly. Yeah. Like, my life. It's filled with meaning. Like, I like that. And, like, in a movie like this, we don't talk about, like, good acting. But, like, there's a sparkle in his eye. Like, the way that, like, he smiles or the way that he gets excited about something, like, sells the role so well. And he gets the most Lynn Peltzer moment of this movie when he, with the uh, gremlin in the paper shredder. And that that's such a Looney Tunes moment because, like, the gremlin, like, looks at the cam- camera and basically, like, does, like, go. <laughs> I know. Like, For some reason, so, like, as somebody who was, like, sensitive to horror and gore and stuff, I know I watched this movie. I couldn't have been more than 12 years old. And seeing that moment and thinking, like, this is funny. Oh, yeah. Like, still thinking, like, oh, this is terrible that he's being, like, a living thing is being put through a paper shredder, but not thinking of it as horror, just thinking, like, yeah, good riddance, it's a gremlin. Sure. Goo and grossness be damned. Like, I don't know, like... I just, well, like, that's a great moment. The scene that like immediately proceeds is like the gremlin putting the mouse trap in that secretary's like little right. sandwich. Yeah, and I remember I didn't know like what a mouse trap really like looked like at the time, and my dad was like, "Oh no, no, no. It, like it's a thing," and like it snaps shut. So it's like when you hear that noise, and he's like, "No, that's something. That's like a hard metal rod snapping down on the woman's tongue." It's like, oh. But it's, like, the way that the gremlin, like, puts it in and, like, you see, like, the hands, like, raised and there's, like, the sound effect of, like, like, yeah. <laughs> like it's so cartoony, but it's Mouth so... <laughs> J.K.L. 
<laughs> Clamp could have easily been like just like the monster that we all really hated in this movie. But I don't know, they they took a different route with it and I really like it and it and and the way that John Glover plays it is it, like there's such an earnestness to it. Well, and like I think it's what I'm saying like I think he's sort of a victim of capitalism too where it's like I know that this is these are the things I'm supposed to be doing, but it's not what I feel in my heart and it doesn't it takes until the end where he's like Sir, I'm sorry about the building. I'm not. You're not? Uh, for one thing, we're insured for the damages. For another, maybe it wasn't a place for people anyway. It was a place for things. You make a place for things. Things come. Going back to what I was talking about with like the water fountain and stuff like that, where it's like, you know, capitalism is all about like crushing creativity for monetization. You mean like when uh, Robert Picardo is like walking through the office and he's like criticizing Billy on like the little sprout of a potted yes, plant he has. We have these and, art. And yeah, he, he pulls that picture down. And he's like, oh, it's just a drawing of my hometown. And he goes, it's just a little touch. What if we all did little touches? Yeah. And he launches into that speech and he points out like the most generic artwork in the world. It's like, hey, that's a great speech. Like if you needed to paint someone as a corporate asshole, yeah. this is the speech. Yeah. Mr. Peltzer, do you know how much the Clamp organization has spent to provide its employees with art by recognized artists at this facility? Eye-pleasing, color-coordinated, authorized. It's just painting the picture of, like, this is the corporate mentality. We can't have anything that even resembles individuality yeah 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 like he throws that little potted plant in the trash and billy like stuffs the drawing of kingston falls in his pockets like we can't even suggest individuality here robert picardo plays such a good prick oh i love him in like this movie. he's like you, you just love it and like like the form of comeuppance that he gets i just think is like perfect <sighs> like yeah so i mean that's a problem because now we have to deal with Gremlina. Is that her real name? Who's going to kill Gremlina? Well, no one's going to kill her. She's not evil. What if she gets wet? She's enlightened. She's like Gizmo. Well, that doesn't matter. She's just horny. That's no fault. Gizmo clearly is enlightened, and he, he gives off shit gremlins. So what happens if Gremlina gets wet? We well, have to kill Gremlina. We'll just be cautious. Oh, man. Robert Picardo gives into it in the end. He's like, you know what? Not so bad. Those are DSL. Yeah. Oh, no. No one's got DSL like Gremlina. Those are the biggest deals. Yeah. No. Gr- Did you Gr- get sting- stung by a bee recently, <laughs> ma'am? Gremlina looks like one of two things. One, late 70s, early 80s Karen Black, or Death Becomes Her Era Goldie Hawn. <laughs> Especially like when she raises out like through like the in the musical number <laughs> the bu- with that Busby red dress. <laughs> yeah. Oh and it's like she when she emerges in that red dress, it's like this is what Goldie Hawn looks like in Death Becomes Her. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty So that yeah, that begs the question. So w- was everyone a male gremlin until this? And they were just like Some of them were gender fluid. Uh you know, you'll recall from the first one there was the one that dressed up like a woman. And then also Flasher. 
Flasher comes back in this movie and, and Phoebe Cates, Cates is kicks, over it. Yeah, she kicks him in the nuts. She's like, no, not doing this again. Oh, so good. So good re- Good payoff. Good payoff. <laughs> but like, I love the look on Phoebe Cates' face. It's like, no. No. <laughs> not today, bitch. But like, also like we we have like uh, the Gremlina, but then it cuts to like a cha cha line down in the lobby, like as the movie's nearing an end, and there are one hundred percent gremlins dressed as women in that cha cha line. Oh, so it's like th- there are either trans or gender fluid gremlins, but I think Gremlina is the first cis <laughs> female gremlin. <laughs> Although I guess I mean, she that's transitioned because she drank that I mean, formula. She was born a man, transitioned. <laughs> she had hormone therapy <laughs> and transitioned to a female. Well, I think it is, it's interesting because I want to know more about what Gremlina drank because the vial that she drinks has the male and female symbol it has the on it. Sign on it. So yeah. if you were a female gremlin and drank it, would you turn male? Like, it seems like whatever these chemicals are, they just turn you the opposite of. That's the implication. Yeah. That it's like a, a gender role reversal sort of potion. <sighs> Problematic. Maybe I'd love to see a movie with all gremlinas, like all, all, all femme grems. Where's the femgram Where's the comic? <laughs> I'd read it. What gender is Gizmo? Definitely a they. Mm, okay. You know. I mean, Gizmo's technically the mother to all these other gremlins. Maybe it's a seahorse situation. Mm. So one thing this movie does that the first one doesn't is... Uh, we see how these little gremlins are born. We see the pustules and like the little baby gremlins. Like, right. In the first one, only the mogwai multiplied. And then like when Stripe stuck his finger in the fountain, there's like the implication that he'll multiply or when he jumps, jumps in, the in the pool. pool. Yeah. But like, we don't actually like see a full grown gremlin. But these, multiply. we see the pustules with like little baby gremlins, like writhing around it. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. that's a good touch. I yeah. Like that. Yeah. That's that, like it's a new addition to the movie. Um, Splice of Life, though, that, I mean, there's like, I can think of th- three things right off the bat that we haven't touched in Splice of Life. Great. Let's, let, let's dig in. We, I mean, we're not even close to finishing. <laughs> One. This is a three hour episode. One, the receptionist. Julia Sweeney! <laughs> I literally just looked at my phone and was like, we haven't talked about Julia Sweeney yet. I mean, granted, Julia Sweeney is a little problematic in this day and age. Oh, she's recanted on Pat. Let her, Has let her she? have it. Yes. Okay. She said, I feel bad about that. So, I mean, it's probably good that she recanted a character that, like, the whole joke is, like, we can't tell what gender it is. And we're all so fixated on it. <laughs> she said she was sorry. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I, for one, accept that apology. Me too. Also, uh, I love seeing her in this movie. I know. It's just... it. It's weird because I watched this movie, like, I knew what SNL was, but I didn't know who Julia Sweeney was. And so, like, seeing her now, like, knowing who she is, it's just it's just a different game. I know. 
Uh, was she on SNL at this point? I don't know. No, like, I think this was like her prime. Yeah, she was just like, I'm acting. I'm an actor. Because she's in Pulp Fiction. And I think right, Pulp 94? Fiction was like right as she stopped. Because like the It's Pat movie was, I want to say, 96. Okay. And so like it was probably like she quit SNL, did Pulp Fiction, and was like, you know, hopefully on to greener pastures. So no, this was like very much like her in the SNL cast. She's fun. I love seeing her in this movie. I mean, she plays a dork like no one else. Yeah. She's sneezy and gross and funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> she knows what she's playing with Christopher Lee. Lee. Horror How have we made it 120 <laughs> minutes into this podcast and haven't talked about Christopher Lee? A, Christopher Lee is that tall. He's like six foot five or something. Someone posted pictures on uh, Twitter of someone putting makeup on him for Attack of the Clones. Okay. And it's like the makeup lady had to stand on like two soap boxes to like put the powder on his face. Um, I really love him in this movie. He's not playing it for laughs There's at all. There's no irony <laughs> in his performance. <laughs> I think you mentioned that he's he's somebody who says that like you're going to be in a bunch of shitty movies, but uh, the important thing is to not be bad in them. Yes. And yes. he's doing that here. He's just like, I don't know what this movie is, but I am going to just, I know my role and I'm going to go for it. You know, I, I also heard that Christopher Lee was in The Howling Part 2. Okay. And Joe Dante directed the first Howling movie. Right. Which is, which is a very good movie. I would and like to see it. It's much more mature than you'd think a werewolf movie would be. And then, like, The Howling 2 is just pure, like, B-movie schluck. Like, in a good way. Like, it, it has its pros to it. But Christopher Lee was in that. And I guess when Christopher Lee got to the set of Gremlins 2, he apologized to Joe Dante. He's like, yeah, I was in The Howling Part 2, which kind of, like, did a disservice to, like, the maturity of the first Howling movie. Oh, wow. And I'm like, you're being hired because of your gravitas, because of, like, your screen presence and the idea that like you go up to the director and apologize to being in like the knockoff sequel and then he's like okay pretend you're getting electrocuted by (laughs) a gremlin (laughs) i'm just like but like class act that guy yeah and yeah no sense of irony like when he looks at gizmo and he's like what procedures you propose to adopt sale samples tomorrow tissue cultures thursday then of course there's body structure and for that, my little friend, we'll just have to cut you. Oh my god. No. I'm worried for He's Gizmo. Perfect. You could easily phone this in with an actor of his stature or bumble it in other ways and he but like, he knows what movie's in and he's just like yeah i'm gonna sell this part of me wonders that well like was christopher lee like did he have the stature that like we think that he has now yeah maybe that was like, like in a 1990 like w- was his stature not so high yeah i don't know i i couldn't say and but i mean yeah that that quote of like you know you're in bad movies the key is to not be bad in them he brings that to this movie oh, he knows his character I don't know if he knows what movie he's in because how could you? <laughs> yeah. But I think he knows what he needs to do and he's bringing it a hundred percent. And when he's electrocuted, there's a gravity to that scene. Oh, yeah. Like we're losing a person. Like we've seen other deaths already in the movie, but like this one's like, Oh my God, 
he's dying in front of us. Yeah. And it's just he he plays it so straight faced and he's in it like and he's the only one who dies via the electric gremlin which is important because um otherwise most people die via uh gremlins doing mechanical errors mm-hmm. and he's the one who made it possible for there to be a gremlin who's electricity so he should die by this the irony yeah. brought down by his own hubris. Yeah. I also like when, like the, the lead up to that is he's like, well, they, they've broken all the light bulbs and, and things like that, but I do have some small assault weapons. Oh, my God. Listen, I'm 100% against guns. I oh, think yeah. I shouldn't have them. Sure. But gremlins with assault weapons, <laughs> I fucking love it. I'm like, give them more. You should give them bazookas. Like, let gremlins have all... Because gremlins, of all things, should have fucking assault weapons. Like, that's funny. <laughs> that's good So movie. you think the, the striped gremlin with the... Like, the, the... The Uzi? Yeah, the Uzi. No, I laughed. I was like, yes. Gremlins should have assault weapons. Because then we're talking a, a critique of America. Oh, okay, okay. You know? Like, uh... You're waiting yes. for me to do this? Uh-huh. Okay. I thought you would just say, okay. Uh, because, like, uh, you know, uh, if, if, if gremlins are a problem with the system and America is just, like, loving this capitalist system and uh, growing on it, which I think it's important this movie takes place in New York. And we get lots of shots of, like, what a capitalist system can provide then yeah i think it's funny to have a gremlin shooting people with an uzi does that make sense yeah sure why not i'm a little drunk uh Uh, but but like also like just going back to that like i was thinking at one point watching this because there's lots of shots of like a like a helicopter shot zooming past the twin towers and things like that and which, which I guess was from Superman 4. Like, they used stock footage from Superman 4 for that opening oh, scene. Oh, funny. It yeah. was definitely, like, sped up. But just, like, I, I was thinking of, like, oh, so when America was thriving and, like, capitalism was booming here, we built buildings that were square and straight and just very, like, glass and steel. As opposed to our corkscrew buildings of today. Well, but, yeah. but No, but that's the thing. It's, like post 9-11 you look at like shanghai or dubai and you see buildings that are that are corkscrewed or yeah, like i don't know like if they're that. corkscrewed they, but, but they're but like, differently shaped yeah that, yeah we, we just yeah. don't have rectangles shooting up to the sky and it sort of uh just made me think of like oh capitalism ha- has changed like america really like thought we were like we're the the head of this thing and like this is how we're going to show like this is our penis it's the twin towers so on, and now on, like it's changed like people are like well look at a penis can also look like this on that note and you can totally cut this out in chicago because they're very proud of their skyline like the, like the lake michigan skyline like the, the waterfront with the bean and there's a bunch of like tall buildings there right. the first of those skyscrapers to be designed by a woman i don't know if this was pre or post 9-11 so you know this I don't know if this fits into your theory. Doesn't matter. But uh, she built this like sort of like 
it looks sort of curved like it there's like diagonals instead of like straight across for the the floors and at the top and this was a direct response to all these like phallic shaped buildings she just had these like two l-shaped towers on the top of her building to create sort of a, a an opening, like a yonic thing, yeah, you know, a wide on of sorts. Okay, and she said that she did it specifically. She designed it that way to be be a foil to all the phallic shaped buildings in the Chicago uh, I love skyline. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, I, I just don't think it's a mistake that we're talking about a tower in New York City with like. And we see lots of shots of I mean the, the cli- city, and then like when they see them, they're just like rectangles shooting to the sky. And it's I mean like- the and like the clamp complex or whatever they call it is very much modeled off uh, uh, modeled off of Trump Tower, right? And of- I think Jimmy D even said that like Trump Towers across the street from the building they actually use for clamp. Yeah, so- and like uh, and it's because like uh, like Trump Tower is like the mixed use where it's like. You know, the first, like, 30 floors are retail, shops, things like that. And then above that is is the residential areas. Yeah. And that's, like, how it is here. It's, like, you know, the first, you know, da-da-da floors are yogurt shops and television studios. Reebok show Yeah. Donut King or whatever it was. And then above that is all the residential places, which when the fire alarm goes off and the announced it's, like, fire enact the age-old drama of self-preservation everyone who walks out is fully dressed like no one walks out like wearing sweats or pajamas or boxers a like towel yeah everyone's in like a suit or a dress and they have their shoes on already i was like boy all these people just like live in their business clothes fire the untamed element oldest of man's mysteries giver of warmth destroyer of forests right now this building is on fire what yes the building is on fire leave the building enact the age-old drama of self-preservation fire when billy tries to like get into splice of life and he's like oh i hear your copier's down he has just generic you didn't buy that i was like that is smooth as fuck Julia Sweeney does not question him. And I was like, you know what? Neither would I. I love the design on Spice of Life set wise. I love the lighting with like all the shadows that go on. Oh, like yeah. just the set of Spice of Life looks great. And it was it was a banner year for the 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 twin doctors, the one working on cloning. What else were they in? A little movie called Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Heard of it. <laughs> So, in this movie, they're playing twins, but in Terminator <gasps> That's 2... That's right. Oh, my God! One of them's a security guard, and then, like, the T-1000, like, replicates itself to look like the security guard and kills the other security guard. But it's, like, instead of doing, like, you know... Uh, 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 I'm trying to figure, remember that show from the 50s about identical twins. They look alike. They talk alike. At times, they even talk alike. It'll blow your mind. The parent trap. <laughs> Not the parent trap. Oh. The, the one about like the girl from like Yonkers that eats hot dogs. The Patty Duke show. The Patty Duke show. Oh, I yeah. did it. I got it. Okay, good. Yeah, the Patty Duke show. 
No. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't Patty Duke this one, but it's like in Terminator Two, they don't Patty Duke it either. It's like no. they actually get their real life names are Dan and Don. Which come on, parents. Come on, mom. Uh, but it's like here they're at least playing twins and they're working on cloning stuff, which like uh, it's like the lowest of low hanging fruits for for no twin I, I love but it though like it, come no on. I'm, I'm with it i'm totally here for it yeah like you're doing things about cloning you're doing things about genetic research yeah uh like you've got these two people who look exactly the same and they're willing to like play that up fucking capitalize on it like this is what capitalism should be like, it's like they're in these two movies then i never hear from either of them again yeah, I mean, like, but good for them. Like, they're probably set for life <laughs> based on these two movies. You think they got million-dollar paychecks for their supporting roles in these two movies? Hey, those royalties pay out, man. Should we try and get them on the podcast? Yes. Did you find it at all believable that, like, the, either the Mogwais or the Gremlins could sneak around this building unawares, like, with people not noticing? Like, there's a scene where, like, the, the elevator door opens and, like, a handyman walks out and, like, the Gremlins, like, peer out from, like, behind the door. I'm like, how did you not notice these three Mogwais in the elevator with you? You're, of course, you're over there, like, capitalism. That's probably the problem. Someone paid him off, clearly. But it's like, there's also like the scene of like the uh, Mogways right before they're at the Froyo stand, like uh-huh. underneath like a table. I'm like, how do people not fucking notice it? And like Stripe like turns his head and you can see his ear like hit the woman's leg. I'm like, these things are huge. <laughs> how do you not notice that? And then the woman reaches down and scratches her leg. Uh, she's like, whatever. I'm like these things like it's New York Matt they must weigh at least three pounds oh they weigh like 10 pounds 10 yeah my dog only weighs 21 (laughs) well your dog's a fatty there I said it she's also like half like 1.5 gremlins my dog probably weighs the same as like those three like the stripe and then the the uh, the two of mice and men gremlins. I think you're underestimating the weight of your dog. <laughs> no, we took her to the vet. The vet weighed her. This is not my own independent. I just weight I, system. I think that you're 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 you see her through rose tinted glasses. The vet said she, that she was 21 pounds. You right. don't think that's three gremlins? No, actually, you're about that's about right. They're about seven pounds a piece. Yeah, each gremlin seven pounds a piece. Yeah. Those don't walk around, like, without people noticing. Have you ever gotten her wet? <laughs> yeah. Did she spawn other uh, Lucys? Oh, sadly, no. No, I, 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 I've, I've given her... Have you her... ever fed her after midnight? What happens if you just feed a gizmo after midnight? Well, he turns into a gremlin. Gizmo himself? Yeah. Why mm. would he be any different? Yeah, it's a, I guess he's just like he—he he just knows, like, fuck, I cannot do this. Well, you'll recall from the first movie, he's offered like food, right? And he says no. Yeah, I'm cool. Like he—he's above it all. <sighs> but he still gives birth to shit gremlins. Hey, you don't choose who your kids are; they choose you. Yeah, he must be real disappointed. <laughs> yeah, you can tell. 
Like, they lock him in that vent. He's like, oh, my babies. But also, like, the sound effect of him going, ah. Like, it's, like, timed up with the music, and it sounds real dramatic. So, how did society not follow up on the Kingston Falls Gremlins Hello? Why wasn't that a news story anywhere? Well, like, I'm sure it may have been a news story that, like, this theater blew up. But I feel like there'd be, like, a full-on federal investigation. Because it's like when the Futtermans arrive and Mrs. Futterman's like, oh, Murray's been a little on edge since, you know, uh." and I'm like, yeah, rightfully so. Well, and he's taught at one point, Murray Futterman is talking to the the police and he's like, I've dealt with these things before. You'd think that the person he's talking to is like, oh yeah, I heard about. I'm from Kingston Falls. I've survived the gremlin invasion. Oh, I heard about these things. They're gremlins. This has never happened before in human ex- existence. Yeah. Uh, fun fact. Hello. This, this movie introduced me to uh, uh, the country of Beirut. Officer, just let us in there. We'll take the responsibility. Forget it, lady. Most of the people are out of there now. Anyway. Then what's in there? I've been to Beirut. Yeah. I bet they miss you there. And I, I remember, like, asking I'm like, what's Beirut? <laughs> He's like, it's a country with a lot of war in it. You know, any people from Beirut are called Beirutians or Beirutians. Don't complicate things, Matt. I'm, I'm, I just I want to get the terminology right. That's I all. prefer Beirutians, but now Ryan declared it. Everyone, that's what you're called. No, no, forward. no. I want to hear from the people of Beirut. All of our our Beirutians, Beirutian listeners. Uh, yeah, all of our all, all of our Beirutian fans, chime up. Beirutianese, maybe. I don't know. I'd like to hear. I feel like the uh, the OG Gremlin invasion would still be like big news. Well, and like the fact that Clamp has never heard of Kingston Falls, it's like, dude, the place blew up. <laughs> like. <laughs> Chris Columbus didn't come back to write this one. It's had a totally different set of writers, which yeah. is both noticeable and sort of admirable. Like, I, I don't hate it. Like, script-wise, I still think everything's there. I think everything's there. I also kind of, like, I'm glad that the writers were more attached to the gremlins than the original characters or storyline, that they did not try and just bring everybody like like they brought back good stuff that worked in the first one you know when when i watched the first one I'm like do we need the dad's inventions yes because it's about malfunctioning equipment but like do we need him in the second one no i guess not like like is do you but feel do like we want to movie's... make murray futterman a hero He's a fucking xenophobic uh, racist. Well, also a good point. In the first one, like, he's super racist. This one, he's, like, more Cold War paranoia than racist. Like, he, he's worried uh, about, like, the Russian driving his cab and, like, someone drops off a briefcase full of atomic secrets. I'm like, you know what? If we're going to be xenophobic, I'd rather it be based on, like, nationality than on ethnicity. I feel like you're equivocating a bit, but uh, sure. I mean, I just, I don't want to like 
prop up Murray Futterman. I, I have problems with that well, because no, in I mean, the first Mur- one, he was such a he shit. Was, he, the first one, full-on racist. Like, yeah. no excuse. This one, it's Cold War paranoia. He's worried about commies getting American secrets. And if you're going to be xenophobic, I'd rather be that than the first. Okay. Also, he gets scratched on the head. Like, yeah. brutally. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Like, that's not a fun scratch he got. Again, like, I think I would rather have Lynn Peltzer doing this <laughs> than Marie Fetterman. I think that that's a better fit for the Gremlins universe. Listen, I don't want to be bitching about the fact that Dick Miller is in this movie because I love Dick Miller. I think Murray Futterman is a fun character. Like, yada, 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 yada. I just think that it would be more interesting if this was Lynn Peltzer once again killing the fucking Gremlins. If And, like, he, this time she got injured. What if she was the one that, like, di- had, like, the Rambo transformation? Yeah, Like, to win a war, you have to become a war. Oh, like, she just can't take it anymore. She's the one who kills that fucking spider gremlin. She's yeah. like, fuck you. Yeah. Yes. Like, have her, have her come, have her instead of, okay, uh, the, the Peltzer's coming into their, their apartment. Yeah. Instead of having them come in, have Lynn Peltzer come in and see a spider in their apartment. Like, oh, I fucking hate spiders and smash it. Oh, yeah. And then later she sees it again and she's like, I hate you. Like, ah, I just, I mean. I Lynn mean, is such an important part of the first movie. Like would, to have her erased in this wouldn't one, it be like, so good? Crazy. It, it, all right, uh, all right. If Lady Peltzer came in and was like, "Oh, you have a spider in the corner. You know what really gets these?" and she like lights some like toilet paper with like with a match yeah. and like sticks it with yeah. something, and then like flash forward like fifty minutes and like the spider gremlins going after Phoebe Cates and Marla, and like she comes in and she's the one that does the yes. Rambo. That, now we're talking. I mean, part of me is like, I'm sure, because like, this was directed by Steven Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy and one of the Marshalls, I think the, the elder Marshall, Frank Marshall. And I know Steven Spielberg is very like pro-Gizmo should be a hero yeah. in, in, the, in this fable. Which I'm cool with. But part of me is also like... I kind of do wish Lynn Peltzer. Well, and then you can you can fix this problem. Also, like make Gizmo the one who puts the hose up. Like, don't make Murray he's the f- one holding the hose. Yes. How would you reasonably have Gizmo holding the hose? You have Billy be like, Gizmo, hold this hose. He's tiny. He can do it. He's seven pounds max. He can do it, Matt. In the world of this movie, he can do it. And it's like, I'll tell you when to do it. And then have him be the one who wets them. Yeah, you don't need the Futtermans. I think like I think the Futtermans are a misstep. There, I said it. Wow, you could have, you could have Lynn Lynn and Gizmo fulfill all those uh, gaps. I agree with part one of your statement and not with part two. Fine. There is one great directorial scene in this. It's when Fred, who's still inside the building, and he's turning on the TVs, and he sees one, and he's like, we're reporting outside from Clamp Cable Network, yeah, from Clamp the, Tower or whatever. And, like, he turns on another one, and he's like, we, we, we believe that these, you know, weird creatures are inside, but being from, from out here, we can't see. And when he turns on the third one, and it's another reporter 
He's reporting on the outside of Clamp Network. It shows his reflection in the TV. And he had talked earlier about how he always thought that he'd do journalism, something important. And he's watching these three anchors talk about how they're reporting from the outside. And on the third one, his reflections on the TV. And that's when he gets the idea. He's like, I can do this. I see me. I can report from inside. I can be on TV. And so like that, and and it's like, there's no dialogue here. It's like, we got his speech earlier about how he thought he was going to do journalism, but it's like him watching TV one, two, and three. He sees his reflection in the TV and he goes out in the hallway and he finds the cameraman. Like what's his face from 16 candles, which Varla is also Marla is also in 16 candles. Oh, is she apparently? Okay. (laughs) For a later date. I just, you know, you'd think a movie of this caliber wouldn't really put a lot of emphasis on cinematic storytelling. Like you'd think it'd be all slapstick and gags. And to have this like little scene where it's like, you know, he's watching screen one, he's watching screen two and on screen three, he sees his own reflection. And we've already established that he wants to be a journalist. And like the idea that like, he's looking at his reflection of this news broadcast and like, there's no dot. Di- like, I mean, I mean, there's dialogue. Like, there's the newscaster dialogue. Like, there's the other journalist. There's no dialogue from Fred. And then he rushes out into the hallway and finds the cameraman. He's like, "This is where I'm going." I'm like, you know what? That's just really good subtle filmmaking. Oh, I mean, it's all over this movie. Yeah. Like any little thing that you think, like, oh wow, oh I just caught that. Like, it's well thought right. out in advance. Yeah, no, like I just I like I think about um, the amount of product placement in this movie. Like I see all these Reebok, oh sure, and Mr. Donut, and just like all these other like just weird product placement stuff. Is like this is at a time when movies were were starting to be like, yeah, let's put this shit in there. And so when Joe Dante is doing it in a movie that's lampooning capitalism like it takes on a different meaning like there's points when like the Reebok logo is just fine and just like hanging out in the background and then like later it's you know tilted sideways and like flickering so this movie like implanted because I watched it at such an early age I was like six at the oldest when I first saw this Mm -hmm. like whenever I hear either the song New York New York I kind of think of this movie. Also, when I hear Rhapsody in Blue, I kind of think of this movie. There's something about, like, I mean, A, the brainy gremlin, Tony Randall, mellifluous voice, pretty good singer, singing New York, New York. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. And then the idea that, like, it kind of transitions into Rhapsody in Blue which, you know, Gershwin was very much part of the city scene. Uh, Have you ever seen Manhattan? Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's more than an accident. It's like people were consciously thinking, like, New York, New York bleeds into Rhapsody in Blue. Yeah. Like, that's not an accident. Like, that was a conscious decision, but it does it so seamlessly because it's like, 
the Rhapsody in Blue stuff is is the Busby Berkeley musical with like the panels to Gremlina's face, and then she like rises from the pupil of one of the eyes. Well, like, and I like the like yeah, it's it's uh uh if we're already talking about this movie being a cartoon, like musicals are kind of a cartoon. Oh yeah, in a lot of ways, and so to have a moment where it's like. And here's a musical number. <laughs> like, if you're watching a cartoon, you're like, yeah, and here comes the musical number. Like, the movie teaches you how to watch it by showing us that Chuck Jones thing at the beginning. And that includes, like, oh, we might have a weird musical number that has no bearing on anything yeah, other right. than, like, here's an interesting musical number. And then, like, it's even a little sad, like, at like the very end of the electrocution stuff. When it's like the brainy gremlin in his suit and he's like oozing and like dripping and he's like New York, New York. and then like he collapses and like I mean I love like when he transforms into the brainy gremlin and like for some reason he's got a pair of glasses on mm-hmm. and then like when he dies like the pair of glasses falls off his face and like there's like little traces of electricity that like go around the frames of the glasses I'm like fuck this is good filmmaking. It's a gag when the glasses first appear, and now it's, like, kind of heartbreaking at the end. Because, like, the brainy gremlin wasn't necessarily, like, a violent or, or mischievous gremlin. He so, just wanted to have civilization. civilization. So, like, to have him have this, like, final note and, like, die and, like, to ooze out and for, like, the last of his life force be oozed onto these, to the glasses, like, what gave him civilization, you know, the metaphor there. Like, I don't know, it's it's almost a little sad. But, I mean, it quickly, like, turns away way because, like, the, and then, like, the clamp SWAT team rushes in. Yeah. But I'm like, I don't know, it's just, like, the movie's directed to a T. Like, just perfectly like yeah like we're giving uh john glover a lot of props for making this this a lovable character but like he's still even at the end after everything that's happened is still like how can i capitalize on this because he's like oh that's marketable it's funny i look at him you know what i see what's that sir dolls with suction cups staring out car windows a big float in the macy's day parade has anybody ever talked to you about merchandising nothing has changed i think is what we're kind of like at the end of this movie it's like yeah this shit happened and this tower failed and da 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 but it's like capitalism prevails exactly we're still just like oh because mr clamp didn't die because of this he's like oh i see opportunities to move forward i mean we hope that he like learned a lesson from all this you know yeah but i don't know it's like we we reserve like capital d directing for like you know schindler's list or something but there's a lot of capital d directing in this movie oh my god you said at the beginning like he was given a hundred percent creative control and like I said earlier, it's like if we're talking dream factories, I want dreams like this. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. And the only way to do that is to just like once in a while say, here's millions of dollars. Go nuts. You director. And like, I want it to be weird and I want it to fucking stick with me. <laughs> and you know what? That's gremlins too for me. Like, 
I mean, I, I guess... I, I can never forget this movie. Th- their original first choice for the Brand New Gremlin was Tim Curry, but I'm kind of pro-Tony Randall. I think Tony Randall is more of, like, the intellectual like, that we want out of this role. But, like, when he's, like, dying at the end and, like, saying New York, New York, and, like, like collapses, I'm like, you know, like, for as goofy and as stupid and as silly as this movie is... There's a little weight to when that gremlin collapses. And, like, that's not an accident. Like, this scene is earned. Like, we have to believe the brainy gremlin that he wants civilization. Like, if all the gremlins were as brainy as he was, that, like, maybe there could be unity. And, like, it's a little sad. Like, it's not victorious that this brainy gremlin dies. Like, that you that you would think that the the villain in a monster movie would be it's sort of ignoble in a way that like he's brought down and like we as the audience are a little sad about it yeah 100% it's odd to sympathize with the villain in this movie but like when they're so weird and funny like you, you almost. I think maybe Joe Dante's like sympathies are with the villains in this movie. Sure. Though. Like I think he's kind of on the side of the gremlins. When you talk about like splice up your life, like you're you're talking about like variety. Like look at what creativity can make, and to kill that because I don't know money or like some other capitalistic reason like that's sad like it sucks it feels like we're we're squanching uh or squashing creativity and i think called squanching right all right i like your squanch and i think that that's what like that's why the grandpa vampire is in there because it's like i think that's the point i was trying to make earlier is where it's like he is the example of what creativity is and like Marla brings us up in the dinner sequence where she says like you know when art and business join forces anything can happen I guess so but that's comes with an asterisk I mean that could have been what Joe Dante was feeling like going into this movie yeah like I just feel like that's a comment on the movie and like what he's done with the Gremlins franchise so it's like to put that in a movie, I don't think is a mistake. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 totally. I like. I think it's very intentional. It feels funny for a movie that got a blank check to also be critical of capitalism. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like he he got all the resources he could possibly want to make this movie, and then he's critical of like a capitalist you know environment like the only reason he got a blank check for this movie is because of capitalism yeah because gremlins was a success yeah exactly and like hollywood execs didn't know how to replicate it without him but and i guess i don't want to say this movie was a bomb but like it did not do as well as the first it didn't make back as much as it as it cost to make but so that's called the bomb yeah but it, it wasn't that far off and also, it, it was I don't d- care. I think this movie's better well, than yeah, the first you one. You don't care because it wasn't your money. If you invested in this money, you might feel differently. Well, remember, you've even said yourself on this episode that movie producers 
don't know what makes a good movie. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. And uh, 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 I also feel like I would make a wonderful movie producer <laughs> because I would put money in the the long run director uh, or or movie makers like the people like in this time period like it could be that the rental market was hotter than the the theater going market so it's like we'd recoup our losses on they were the thinking rental of that market. 100% yeah. yeah probably and like like I totally get that it's just when i said that comment earlier that it's like a, a lot of times movies are made or produced by people who don't even like movies it's in specific reference to the first gremlins because Warner Brothers was like, I don't know. I don't know why this was popular. Unless we get Joe Dante back, like, I don't know if we can do this. And, like, Joe Dante only really got the job to direct Gremlins because Steven Spielberg was like, this is the, uh, he saw Piranha, and he's like, this is the best Jaws ripoff I've ever seen. And, like, that's how he got the job. Yeah. I don't know. I just like by the time we get to Gremlins two, it's like he's such a fucking good director. Like he he hasn't directed anything this good since. Like he, you know, Small Soldiers is fine and other things are fine, but this is where his heart is. And like he even says yeah. that Gremlins two he likes better than Gremlins one. I do too. I think it's better. I think it's better. There are certain aspects of Gremlins, the first Gremlins, that it's hard for me to renege from. But if we're talking about like just pure like creative vision and like what a uh, an auteur wants out of their project, it's hard to say that this is not the better one. <laughs> finish this matt quick before we be- make four fools of ourselves yeah before we make four fools of ourselves <laughs> well we've reached the end of the gremlins 2 episode which yeah. we both love we both love that movie matt we, we like a lot do. a lot a lot yeah but i think it's time to talk about what we're gonna do next week. ryan this is your last movie of our 19th season I know. You better have something locked and loaded, like a good one locked and loaded. This is an important movie for me, Matt. We're going to pop a director cherry. We're out of directors, though. How could that possibly be? No, I know. I thought that's the reaction you'd have. I want to do kicking and screaming. No bumback. That's right. It's his first movie. This takes me back. You gave me this in our original challenge. I sure did. And you know what? I'm just going to say it right now. Noah Baumbach has better movies than this one, but this is my favorite Noah Baumbach. It's wrapped up in nostalgia. It's wrapped up in the time I saw it. I'm already wrapped up in nostalgia for this because, like, the first time I watched it was when you, like, told me to watch it back in 2009? Yeah, somewhere around there. Oh, we're going back in time, baby. Indeed. Indeed. 
lots, lots, lots to talk about. I'm already feeling like nostalgic for like my early to mid twenties. I love it. Get into it, Matt. Get into it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get nasty with Noah Baumbach. Excellent. Um, before that though, why don't we plug our junk and get the fuck out of here? Alright, sword topic of coin. We have a Patreon. It's X-rated movies slash xratedmovies.com Patreon. And it's patreon.com slash Whatever it is. Why are you don't do I'm, it. I'm not here to, 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 to squelch your, your, your fun. I'm just the brainy gremlin to your child gremlin. Fair enough. Anyway, there's lots of tiers there. You can uh, jump on if you want to support us. And you get lots of bonus content for that. If you want to leave us love, any place that you get podcasts for free, wherever you're listening to this, there's a star review place. Just leave a star review. Preferably be five. If you can do six or seven or ten, it's better. If you're listening to this and thinking like, wow, it's a five-star podcast. That's where you put your five stars. Yeah, but but if, it, if you're like, this is a five star podcast, and you go to leave your review and it's like ten stars, give the ten stars. Give the ten stars. Give the ten stars. Adjust your expectations. Proportionality it out. Exactly. Other than that, you can reach out and touch us. Reach out, touch us. We're at Twitter at X Rated Movies. We're at Facebook at Rated X Movies. We are also. At an email, x.rated.movies at gmail.com. Those are the best ways to contact us. Or you can go to our website, x.ratedmovies. Which has all those contacts. And if you're at that website, you can just noodle around and, and fiddle around. Click on a lot of stuff, because like if you click on a lot of stuff, I see like, the traffic's higher. Yeah. And that makes me personal. Matt likes it when you click on his stuff. Anyway, that's it. Okay. We love you very much if you're listening to If you're still listening this. at the end of our three and a half hour Gremlins 2 podcast. Keep Until sure when we watch. <laughs> Keep what did I screaming. say? What was it? Kicking and screaming. Okay. Until we watch Kicking and Screaming. Keep, Keep reaching for that, for that rainbow. rainbow. Goodbye.